0: Thank you so much for being back with us tonight, and I hope that you've had a great afternoon. And I want to add uh, good news to the prayer list. Uh, it's brought to my attention this morning, but also uh, this evening, that uh, Bruce Connor uh, is doing well uh, in his recovery, and so we're, we're thankful for that. Uh, in fact, I was told this afternoon that... Uh, uh, and, and this morning that he um, is not really in a lot of pain uh, after that surgery. So we're thankful for that. But we want to encourage you to continue to pray uh, for Bruce and also all of those on our prayer list, and especially those that have been added today. Uh, it does work. It does help. And um, despite uh, various outcomes, it is beneficial to those families as well. So please continue uh, in your prayers. Uh, turn your Bibles real quickly, if you will, to the book of 1 Peter. Uh, we just want to read a passage of Scripture there, and then we're going to flip over to the Old Testament book of First and Second Samuel. But I want us to think about, um, look at 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want us to think about an idea over the next few weeks. And we're going to think about this idea and look at several characters in God's Word that portrays the idea of this Word. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, the Bible says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And so we're going to talk about the idea of holiness and living holy lives. Imagine if someone came up to you, and they said to you that you're a holy person, what would you think about that? How would that make you feel? I'm sure that you would have a number of different uh, varying ideas and feelings about that. But the word holy, very similar to some of those other English words that we have, uh, because of different meanings, has lost some of its main meaning. For example, think about the word love. Uh, someone wrote a statement. Miss Brown says she loves her husband, she loves her dog, and she loves pizza. Well, all in that statement, using the word love, there's various different meanings of, the, of that word. And it carries different meanings. And the same is true for the word holy. Because the word holy and the concept of holiness is found throughout God's Word, it, it, it does us well to think about this, uh, the idea of this word, consider the idea and the meaning of that word. Unfortunately, many times when we hear the, the term holy, it's in a negative term, isn't it? For example, someone might, ta- might uh, call those who are godly holy rollers, making fun of them. Or, uh, if you try to correct someone who is doing something wrong, you might be labeled as someone having a holier-than-thou attitude. And so both of those are considered something negative. And they look at the idea of, of holy and holiness in a negative attitude. But what does the word really mean? And that's what we want to think about tonight. And tonight we're going to look uh, at the life of David, as found in the uh, book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel So if you want to go ahead and be turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17, that's where we'll meet here in just a moment. Those scholars and theologians may not fully agree on on all the finer points of the word holiness. They do agree on the basic meaning, which means separation from evil and earthly things. Or all that is sinful, a dedication or a consecration to serving God or that which is pure, right, and perfect, separation from common use. A person who has been labeled holy likely has been done so because they stood out among those around them for religious or moral reasons. Maybe it's because they chose to take part in some activity, or maybe it is they they were engaged in something godly rather than something worldly. Therefore, some people would consider them holy. Regardless of the reason, the person labeled holy is because of their behavior and way of life. So for those who think that it doesn't matter necessarily how we live or how we act, The Bible would tell us different because when we think about this word holy. The word holy in the New King James Version is used some 100 times in all of Scripture. The word sanctified, which is a, a variation of the word holy, is used 37 times. And the word sanctify is used 35 times. So over 150 times. Uh, The word holy or the aspect of holiness and sanctified is used in in God's Word. The first time that this term holiness is found is in the book of Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3. I want you to listen to what the Bible says. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it He rested from all of His work, which he, had create, which he had created and made. That's the New King James Version. The English Standard Version says this, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all of His work that He had done in His creation. Six days, God had created the heavens and the earth. But on the seventh day, He chose to rest and He called it holy. Why was it holy? I mean, He didn't create anything on that day, yet He called it holy. Someone has said, It was holy simply because it was a special day set aside by God to be different than the previous six days. Thus, the core meaning of the word holy is to be set aside, separate, to be distinguished in some way. And so when we seek and choose and pursue after holy living... That sets us apart from the world and the way the world lives. That's what makes us different. It doesn't necessarily make us better in the arrogant, proud sense, but it does make us holy in the sense of living for God. In fact, we notice this word, if you'll look, maybe on the front cover of your Bible or the inside cover, or maybe on the spine of your Bible, and it will say, Holy Bible. But why does it say Holy Bible? Well, Bible simply means a book, and it is a book, but it's not just any book, is it? It's a holy book. Why is it a holy book? Because it's set apart for the purposes of God. It's, it's set apart and it's given by God Paul would tell Timothy, inspired by God through men who walked on this earth and chose and sought out to live holy lives separate and apart from those around them. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, the Bible would say, "...but you are a chosen generation." a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And I, when I think about this verse, there's a number of things that come to my mind. First of all, as as God's children, as Christians, as those who Peter calls says the Lord calls us out of the world to be holy, as He is holy, set apart for His purposes, what, that makes us special people. But not special people in the way that the Jews took that. The Jews looked at themselves as special people. God's people. We are God's people, therefore we are better than everyone else. They seem to have that attitude at times. But the Bible doesn't call us to have that kind of attitude. The Bible calls us to realize we're special people so that, like Paul and others would say at various times, be glad, rejoice when we suffer for the sake of Christ because we are God's people, because we are holy and we seek to live holy lives. It is clear if we want to live holy lives, we must be different from the world. It's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge for us because we look out into the world and we look at sometimes the way the world lives and we look at sometimes how it seems that the world is blessed. Though they don't live for God. Which is a while or trick of the devil to try to pull us away from God into the world. But the reality is when we get out into the world and when we turn away from God and we try to live like the world, that we find ourselves ending up empty. And it is amazing when we seek to live holy lives and we seek to be different from the world. Not to point the finger at ourselves, but through our lives to point to God. And like Jesus did with the woman caught in the very act of adultery, He said, stop sinning. Go your way. I I can show you a better life. The woman at the well who had five husbands, stop living that way. I can give you a better life. Live differently from the world. And you will have peace that passes all understanding. You know, it's not necessarily that uh, we're different in how we look. It's not necessarily we're different in the career choices that we make, although we would all agree, I believe, that we do not want to choose a career path that would uh, be contradictory to God, our holy living. But it's in how we speak, the use of our words. Uh, by the way, when I think about that, I think about uh, we're watching a video uh, in, in the Pathfinders classroom About Job. And the gentleman this morning made mention about words, and you know that old phrase that's been coined years and years ago sticks and stones may hurt, but words will not. And he said, That's false. Words do hurt. And so let us in our living seek to be holy in the way that we speak and the things that we say and the way that we use our words. And it's also that we're different in how we act, how we respond to the things of life. Different things will happen in our lives. If we've lived any time in life, we know that. Different things will happen and we may have plans and directions and the way that we want to go and sometimes and many times those things do not work out like that. But when we yield to God and we seek to live holy lives and we respond in a positive way, in a holy way, we are being set apart from the way the world would respond. We must be a different, or some versions would say a peculiar people, so that others will see Jesus living in us. And when they see that, they notice something different. And this will open up the door of opportunity to share Jesus with others. The the second place that the use of the word holy is found is in the book of Exodus chapter 3. When God calls Moses out of the burning bush. You remember that? You remember as Moses walked by and he's out there in the wilderness, uh, all those events had already happened in, in Egypt. He had been raised in, uh, uh, under Pharaoh's daughter, but also in his mother's house, or at least she taught him about God and God's people. And then he fled to the wilderness because of his killing of uh, an Egyptian, and even a Hebrew noticed that. He knew that word uh, was getting around, and he's out there in the wilderness. God's still preparing him, and the time comes. And he notices this bush that's on fire, But it's not being consumed. And in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 5, the Bible says, God speaks to Moses and He says, Do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. God calls the ground where the bush is holy. Why? Why? Was it because the ground where the bush was located was just more fertile than in any part, other part of the land? Or was it that the grass was greener around the bush and, and those are the things that made it holy? Of course, we know the answer to that is no. The ground was holy simply because God was present. In Scripture, it seems that uh, the word holy is uh, directly related to the presence of God. Therefore, Peter said, as God is holy, He has called us to be holy. Had it not been for God's presence, the ground would not have been holy. It simply became holy because God was there. And that's what made it holy. So what makes our, uh, our worship assembly holy? Because God is present, the same idea seen in the Old Testament tabernacle. Their, their um uh their portable place of worship. Do you remember in that tabernacle? There's the uh, holy of holies. And this was the room where it contained the Ark of the Covenant, which the Bible says that's where the Spirit of God dwelt among the people. That was the place that once a year the the priest would go in to sprinkle the blood on the uh, Ark of the Covenant to make atonement for his sins and the sins of his people. But what made that holy of holies holy? It wasn't the material that the tabernacle was built out of. It wasn't even necessary that that it was the Ark of the Covenant and, and what it was built out of and the gold that was overlaid. It was because the presence of God was there. In addition to holiness being connected to the presence of God, it's also connected to the dedication of the people of God. In Scripture, God's prophets and God's apostles were called holy. One person said, For these and other holy men and women in the Bible, dedication to God was number one priority. They did not seek a casual relationship with God. Rather, they were committed to serving the Father. That's some powerful words. Dedication to God for them was priority number one. Do you remember the apostles when they were called by Jesus? Do you remember they gave up their careers? They gave up their careers to follow Jesus and to become His apostles. To take on the job of serving, which they had to learn. To take on the job of spreading the message of Jesus, which they were persecuted and even killed for. How do they do that? Because they sought out holy living and they made, they made their dedication to God their number one priority. Are we that dedicated to God Listen, that's a sobering question when I ask that myself. Am I that dedicated to God? Because see, when we're that dedicated to God, sometimes that means some changes in our lives. Sometimes that means there are some things that we might have to give up. But remember, like Job and others, when we live holy lives different from the world, God will bless us tremendously in ways more abundantly than we can ever imagine. And so let us think about the life of David as we think about this term holiness. Turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. Probably the most famous event in the life of David... Can you imagine the battle with Goliath? David was called a man after God's own heart. Boy, that must be nice. But even this holy man David, he failed in his holiness when he gained more power and he forgot his loyalty to God. Though not a perfect man, we still can see the character, the overall character of holiness from the time David was a boy in, the, in his father's fields to the time that he died at about the age of 70. How did he do that? How did he live that kind of life? I want us to notice three things quickly tonight. First of all, we notice the presence of God. God. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 10 and 11, we'll notice when David came on the scene, he noticed this uh, giant Goliath making these taunts to God. Notice what the Bible says in verses 10 and 11. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Do you reckon Satan still uses giants today? You better believe it. You better believe it. Because Satan wants to use those giants to tear us down, uh, to distract us, as we talked about this morning, to cause us to be fearful. To cause us to be fearful of our jobs. To cause us to be fearful of of losing the things that, that we've worked so hard as Americans to accumulate. And God says, be holy, for I am holy. Trust Me, and I will surprise you in ways that you cannot even imagine. And church, that's not always with stuff. Sometimes. But not always. David had a different attitude than King Saul. Notice down in verses 32 and 33. Remember, King Saul, he was afraid like all the others. King Saul... This is the ironic thing about the story. You remember when King Saul was chosen? The Bible says that he stood head and shoulders above all the rest. In a sense, he was a giant among his people. And yet he was fearful. Where did he place his dedication, his confidence? It wasn't in the Lord. Verse 32, Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fall because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him. You are a youth, young people. You are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. You see, at this point, David was concerned about him being a giant. David wasn't concerned that he's been a soldier from his youth. David was, or David placed his confidence in God. He knew that the presence of God was with him because he sought to live a holy life. David even would verbalize this this presence of God in his life to King Saul in verse 37. He would say, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Look down in verses 45-47. David then verbalizes the presence of God in his life to Goliath. So he's already declared it to King Saul. He's in a sense declared it through the way he's lived up to this point. And now he verbalizes the king Saul and standing before the giant that Satan is using to go against God's people. David would say, You come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into My hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword and the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands." Imagine if we, are, if we seek to live holy lives and we follow the example of David and we declare the presence of God in our life because we are seeking His presence. We're seeking to be holy because the presence of God is in our life and that makes us holy. And we declare to Satan and all the giants in our life, listen, you may come at me with money. You may come at me even with threatening my health. You may come at me and threatening to take away all these things that's on this earth, but I want you to know, Satan, giants, God is with us. And the battle belongs to Him. This is His battle. And He will overcome and He will be Triumphant. Can we verbalize the presence of God in our lives? Imagine, Imagine what would happen when Satan is dangling that temptation before us. And we realize the presence of God in our lives and we say no to Satan. And we say, Satan, I realize what you're trying to do. But I want you to know, I stand with God. Job did it even though he didn't understand. He didn't know what was going on. We have the opportunity to read the story, and we know what's going on behind the scenes. Job didn't know. And Job declared that God was his redeemer. He would declare to Satan, I know you've taken everything away. And I know Job mourned greatly. I can only imagine the mourning that Job must have went through because he lost everything, including his family. But Job still declared the presence of God in his life. And as a result, Satan walked away defeated. And Job continued in life, being blessed by God. You see, the presence of God was important to David. And I want you to notice in verses 48 through 49 the presence of God was obvious in victory. So it was, then the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put in his hand in his bag and took out, put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face. To the earth, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. It was through the presence of God. Through the presence of God, he sought to live a holy life. Another thing, another way that helped David to live holy life, a holy life, was through his obedience to God. Besides the mistake with. Bathsheba and Uriah. Huge mistakes. Huge mistakes in his life. The man after God's own heart. Besides that, David did take seriously obeying God. You remember how he rededicated his life after Nathan revealed to him he was the man that had done all this wrong. David repented before the Lord. And he continued to take seriously obeying God. He had an obedient heart and he tried to follow God's commands, even after those mistakes. His obedience can also be seen in 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 through 5. The Bible will show us this obedience. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 23, verse 1 Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Caleb." And they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Caleb." But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Caleb against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired, of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Caleb, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock so David saved the inhabitants of Caleb. All because he obeyed. Someone said, David realized that his power, his success, and his fortune were a direct result of his obedience. David knew that God wants His people to be obedient. So obedience was a top priority for David. David was able to live a holy life through realizing the presence of God and through his obedience to God. And then finally, because of his dedication to God. Remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we see this de- dedication in his uh, encounter with Goliath. Moreover, David said in verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, He will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Also in chapter 17 and verse 45, he declares this dedication to God, realizing God's presence, but saying, I'm dedicated to God. Then David said to the Philistine, you come at me with the sword, with the spear, and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israels. Uh, armies of Israel whom you have defied. How much easier would it have been for David uh, to just go along and do what everybody else was doing? That would have been much easier, right? Yet the consequences would have been far greater. But because of his dedication to God, he went to battle with the confidence of God. Folks, church... When we go out into the world, let us go out into the world with the confidence of God. Realizing the presence of God in our life if we are Christians, children of God. Realizing that we're seeking to be obedient. Sometimes we're going to make mistakes, but like David, we repent and we rededicate our life to the Lord. Even while he was crowned king at the age of 30, reigning for 40 years, though not always perfectly, he remained dedicated to God. We see this in a couple of places in the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7. When God spoke to the prophet Nathan to share these words with David, verse 11 and following, God spoke to the prophet Nathan to David. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that He will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up... Your seed after you. Who will come from your body. And I will establish His kingdom. And He shall build a house for not my name. And I will establish the throne for, of His kingdom forever. Verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established for Forever. David... Then would reveal his humbleness, his gratitude to the Lord, when in verse 18 and following, he offers this prayer of humility to God. The king David, then King David, went in, and before the Lord he said, "Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me this far?" And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God and you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come is this the manner of man o lord god now that uh, now what more can david say to you for you lord god know your servant for your word's sake and according to your own heart you have done all these great things and make your servant uh, know them. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. What a prayer! What a declaration to God, to Satan, to our giants, to the world to ourselves. To realize and declare the presence of God in our life. To realize the importance of obedience and make that a top priority. And to realize that God will be with us and realize that importance of being dedicated, fully dedicated to Him. Many people find beetles and bugs nasty and creepy. But there's one beetle in the world that can turn you into a beetle lover. It's the jewel scarab. Jewel scarabs live in the jungles of Honduras and have the shape Of your regular Christmas beetle. But their colors are so dazzling and beautiful that they can sell for up to $500 a beetle. Beautiful flaming reds, bright golds, silvers that resemble bright shiny chrome. Even the beetle hater finds the jewel scarabs dazzling and beautiful. But the jewel scarabs' beauty doesn't come automatically. Every scarab has modest, even ugly beginnings. The scarab starts life as a soft, mushy, gray, white grub grown inside a rotting tree stump. They spend their life like this for around a year until finally, when the rainy season arrives, the adult scarabs emerge soft-bodied and pale. Then within hours, their bodies harden and their splendid colors show... They only live for another three months. But what a glorious existence it is. As the story goes, people are just like scarabs. We may not feel terribly beautiful and attractive. In fact, there may be parts of you that feel distinctively ugly. And we're not talking about parts of our body, but we're talking about our spirit, our mind our thought life, our character. But it's the work of God's Holy Word. It's the work of God's Holy Spirit when we yield to them that make us beautiful, that make us holy. It may seem to take a lifetime. There may be mistakes. There's bumps. There's valleys in their mountains. But when we allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to work on us, we will emerge as beautiful, as dazzling, shining creatures, gloriously bearing the image of our Creator. Peter said, You be holy, for He who has called you is holy. Tonight, if you're not a child of God, you're here and you're not a child of God, we pray that God's Word has pricked your heart and that you want to give your life to Jesus because you want your soul to be saved and you want your name written in the Lamb's book of life. By obeying God, which we've talked about, is important to living holy lives. By coming to Him through that faith and obedience and being buried with Jesus Christ in baptism, you too can be made holy because the presence of God can be in your life. And you can go on your way like that eunuch did in Acts chapter 8, rejoicing, living holy lives. Maybe it is you're here tonight, and Satan has piled a lot of things in your life. Satan has distracted you, Satan has weighed you down, and you're carrying a heavy load. The Bible says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Don't carry those by yourself, the load's too heavy. God has given us a Christian family called the church. Brothers and sisters. And we stand here ready and willing to help you carry that burden. We will take those burdens tonight if you have them before the throne of God to ask Him to help you with those burdens. To help you and to help us carry those burdens. Maybe it is you're here tonight. And for whatever reason, you've turned from God. But you're here. And you're ready to give your life back to God. David did. Because David realized the importance of the presence of God, the importance of obedience to God, and the importance of a dedication to God. And maybe, hopefully, you've realized that tonight. And you want to rededicate your life. The Lord. Whatever your need is tonight, we pray that you will not hesitate another moment, but you would come forward and let us assist you any way we can as together we stand and sing.